we we also seek out minority-owned businesses, those that are small and independent, those that are sourcing their ingredients with integrity. So, so the the first criterion is the most important to us. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. So here's a fun thing. What's a fun thing? Well, we haven't done a founder interview in a while because we've been really focused on just telling very important stories and news around specific health topics. But let us not forget that uh, before we were health people, we were founders, or I guess both. There's both, there's, we've got, there's a lot of duality going on here. And uh, we like to feature conversations with founders that we think are doing important and unique things. And I think Emily Schultz of Pop-Up Grocer fits nicely into that category. So we wanted to share her story. Yeah, she's doing a really cool thing. She's showcasing some very cool brands and uh, a clever, clever way. She's a clever lady. Yeah. I mean, a pop-up grocer, which is actually, especially now, a a great uh, concept and a riff off of a traditional grocery store experience. And you might think that this is not the time to be in the retail business at all, but I actually was, you know, it was nice to hear that she's really thinking about things in a broader way. And there is still an opportunity for retail, for brands to succeed at retail. Um, And pop-up grocer, I think, is one of the ways that you can do that if you are a small startup in this CPG consumer packaged goods category. Yeah, this is a good episode for the small startups. She's got a great background and I think speaks to the CPG language quite well. So she's got a lot of good tidbits and lots of good information for the budding entrepreneurs. So enjoy budding entrepreneurs. And um, yeah, we'll be back with another health, uh, health conversation pretty soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for for joining us via Zoom. We would love to hear your story about how you got started with Pop-Up Grocer and where it is now and where it's going and how things are different now than they were three weeks ago when you had this conversation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, my story. Well, I have been in the food and beverage space in a marketing capacity for the entirety of my career. And I was at a food startup, which was kind of my first job. And I was very green and I did everything there from riding on the field marketing vehicle that toured the country to managing social media to overseeing the website. And what was the startup? It was Chobani. The, oh, just a little, right. little tiny company little. that no one's ever heard of. I know. Um, yeah, and it was an incredible experience because uh, the company grew faster than like Facebook and Twitter combined at the time. Uh, and so, so insane. I, and he gave everyone like shares, right? I mean, he gave all of his employees stock. I, I unfortunately departed before that, but yes. Oh, you did. Okay. He, did he did express that that generosity. 
Yeah. So, I mean, my, my, my career, my responsibilities were able to excel at the rate that the company did. So that was amazing. And when I left, it was such a unicorn of an experience. I was like, I can't just go, go to any company and, and do a regular job. Like I'm not, I'm not even fit for a regular job. I wouldn't know what to do. So I started consulting and working with small food companies and helping them to build their brands, uh, largely in a digital capacity with some packaging and uh, overall communication development. And that's where the idea for Pop-Up Grocer uh, came. Because I just I saw all the challenges that these, these companies were facing in launching their products and being new to market. And so I wanted to help create a solution to that. And what year was that? Not was a year ago. Oh, wow. Okay. It was a year ago. Oh, wow. That's super recent. Okay. I thought it was long. Um, so what were the challenges that they were facing? Like what, were some, what are some of the issues of a small food brand startup? Yeah. Well, really the issue that we're resolving with Pop-Up Grocer is the visibility issue. So, I mean, you know, take a nut butter, for example, we would develop this beautiful brand, the packaging, the website, the social presence, uh, and it would feel really amazing and we were so excited about it. And then if they were lucky enough to get into like Whole Foods Northeast, they would be one jar among hundreds in an aisle that's dimly lit and dusty and you know someone walks down it and doesn't really see them in the way that we felt they deserved to be seen. So initially my idea was to create this environment where the kinds of brands that I was working on, these premium specialty products with Great founding stories, uh, excellent ingredients could really have the visibility that that you know we felt was warranted. So, how many have you done so far? Can you talk about how you kind of structured the showcases or the pop ups? Yeah. So our first one was in April, and that was really just an experiment. So it was ten days long. It was in New York City, um, in the Soho area, and we had about a hundred, just over a hundred brands, I think, in participation. This is last April, just to clarify. Last April, okay. yes. Yeah. We just had our first birthday. Okay, so uh, just to put it in perspective for everybody who hasn't like time stamped it. This is April <laughs> twenty twenty, and uh, retail has been pretty much wiped out. So due to the coronavirus, so we're right in the thick of it here, at least in New York. So the landscape is looking obviously very different than it did a year ago. And so, yeah. Yes, for sure. And yes and no. I mean, I also think we were solving a problem online that exists as well, which is that there's just, I mean, there's just too much stuff. So there's too much stuff in that example of the aisle at the physical grocery store. And there's too much stuff online as well. And what we do is help pull through the clutter and give people a more narrow selection of items that we've stamped with our uh, criteria that you know amount to our approval and help make that shopping experience more delightful and those purchase decisions a little easier. So I think that that will continue uh, to to be a value, you know, as people yeah. are focused more on shopping online. Well, and I think to your point about nut butter, even in that example, I think that's actually a great example because. You see that there are certain there are certain subcategories and certain or you know categories of food and beverage where there really is an opportunity for a clear leader to emerge because either it's a completely new product or there's just not that much competition. But then you look at something like nut butter, where it's you know it's 
in some ways, it's not that sexy compared to how other kind of wellness focused products could really make their mark. So, but that's, but that's not to say that there's not room for, you know, a disruptive brand or somebody to do something different. So that's a really great opportunity for those types of categories, especially when you think about those middle aisles in the supermarket that are just so easily passed by or people don't think to necessarily even look down them. So I think, you know, what your, what your vision was, was really a special opportunity. It sounds like for a lot of these, these categories where there is still an opportunity for, to, for somebody to kind of distinguish themselves. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the physical space in the development of the concept was a necessity because it was a novelty as far as discovery was concerned. Like we're just so social media fatigued and there's such an oversaturation of content and things vying for our attention. And these brands were suffering from a marketing perspective because the cost of digitally acquiring a customer was increasing at such rapid speed. So that I think will remain. I hope that we are still able to continue with physical spaces, of course, you know, with some with some time uh, allowance in between whenever that is and now. But I think even more so given this period at home where we're all hanging out on Instagram and we're already feeling drained and exhausted by all of the Instagram lives that are popping up seemingly every second. Yeah. Uh, I think that physical space will become even more cherished. So what are some of the what are some of the parameters or how do you select these brands? Like what are you looking for? What makes them special? So we use three criteria. The first is the most important and it's just, is it interesting? Um, And that can be answered with a yes based on uh, whether it's taking an ingredient and using it in a new format like cauliflower as popcorn, uh, or if the founding story is really compelling, majority of our brands are uh, women-owned, for example. Is that just by coincidence or do you seek that out? We do seek that out. Yeah. Um, it's definitely not by coincidence. We, we also seek out minority-owned businesses, those that are small and independent, those that are sourcing their ingredients with integrity. So, so the, the first criterion is the most important to us. And then the second is, does it mean if it's a food product? Because we do feature some uh, home, body, and pet care products. Is it nutritionally uh, and and its ingredients responsibly sourced? And then third, uh, does it look good on shelf? So we take the packaging and aesthetics into consideration. Good. And can you talk a little bit about just like the actual vision and and what really happens? Because I think the way we've spoken about it with you prior, it's like you really it's called pop up grocer, but you really think of it more as an activation and an event, and it's kind of an ephemeral. It's experiential. So can you talk a bit about just what happens and, and what the experience is? Yeah. I mean, the, the way that I, I speak to our brands about it um, is from an awareness point of view. So typically, it takes someone seeing something six or seven times to buy it. Uh, we hope to greatly reduce that by introducing their brand to the right people in an environment that makes them trust it and pay attention to it more. Um, so we're not out there to sell, 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 uh, within our space, although sales happen, of course, and, and we are a store. I mean, that is very much the experience is that you come in and you explore these items and then you go to the register and you buy them, but that's not our primary objective. So 
everything is merchandised beautifully. Everything has uh, its rightful space. There's nothing on the bottom shelf that you have to bend on your knees and crouch down to have access to. We supply a magazine um, in the front of the store that's for pickup by everyone and, and free. And within there is a brand directory. And each brand has the opportunity to share whatever it would like about itself, whether that is more about its founder or uh, its ingredients. Um, there's a link to its website and its social media channels, a discount for purchase if you'd like to buy online. So a lot of people really come in, grab that, use that to help them navigate the shelves and and learn more about what's inside, as well as accessing our staff, which is not something that you would experience in a typical grocery store. Um, I gen- I sometimes function that way in the in the yogurt aisle. I'm your yogurt concierge. I see people like standing there for a solid two to three minutes, not sure how to pick among the options, and I just chime in and help them understand the differences. So that's what we have available as a resource within our spaces. And so how many products of a, of a given category are, is a customer going to see when they walk in? So it depends on how, you defi- how narrowly you define the category, of course, but there would probably be just one to two. So you know, if you're, if you're looking at a pasta, there's probably just one, one made of cauliflower and one made of chickpeas, maybe two tops. Um, but, but yeah, that's, we, we limited that narrowly so that the selection is pretty easy. We're really just giving you the best within each category. It's so interesting just to think again about this this landscape and this climate and how things are going to change. And I'm just so curious to see how this experience and online competing within real life, like how those things reconcile. Um, I was just thinking about like uh, 2008, roughly, is when pop-up stores in general, I think, started coming on the scene, right? And it was kind of in the wake of the mortgage crisis. So they kind of had this, you know, people had this like innovative moment um, in the midst of that crisis. And it, you know, it came to us in the form of like pop-up stores, which have more or less like stuck around. I mean, I, I think it's, it's such a great way for individual brands to obviously test the waters. And But this is like a totally new concept, right? Like I don't know a pop-up store that is curating all these other brands that would otherwise like not be able to afford it. But do you do you see like how do you what do you what kind of innovation do you think is going to come out of this crisis? I keep like coming back to this and asking you to look into the crystal ball that doesn't exist, but like <laughs> or sit deeply into my depression about the uncertainty of the right, right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, this like innovation always happens right in these moments. So it happened then in the form of one one of the many things that happened was pop-up stores. Um, but I, I'm just so curious how we're going to, how we're going to navigate this new landscape and how we're going to sort of like do some major urban planning, you know, around yeah. how we move about and experience new products. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't have a, a crystal ball. Unfortunately, that would be amazing. Um, but I do think there are a lot of behaviors right now that are being forced upon people that probably needed to, needed to happen anyway or or were there and accessible but I think people for whatever reason just out of habit or uh, hesitation to change weren't utilizing them I mean the fact that most Americans uh, more than 80% are visiting a grocery store at least once a week most twice is a current statistic despite the 
existence for some time of Instacart or Imperfect Foods for Produce, et cetera. Well, that makes sense in so many ways because, um, I mean, global pandemics aside, um, there is still something that is very different about the discovery experience when you go to a store where you really get to see everything laid out in front of you and there's no amount of searching or something being served up to you. It feels much more organic to be able to just go and see the options. Not to mention the fact that I'm, there's a great many of us out there who really... There are certain things that I would really just rather choose myself. And you know, produce is obviously a big piece of that. But even sometimes like... To your point, like packaging is important and being able to look and feel a product and turn it over. And I don't know, there's something that doesn't get replaced, I think, with that experience. And obviously, when you are forced to stay home for fear of you know, the safety of yourself and others, it's a different conversation. But by and large, I feel like there are so many people that you know, could still prefer that experience. Plus, you know, it's just like something to do and browsing is fun and... I don't yeah. know. I mean, I also, I also think when you're talking about products that are of a higher price point, it's really more, it's more challenging to get someone to pull the trigger just from viewing a photo of it uh, among photos, you know, many others, you know, similar to the aisle uh, challenge online. I mean, it's just such a lack of intimacy there. And I think especially with food, where this is something that you're putting in your body that's going to have an effect on how your body is shaped, the amount of energy you have, like your life, basically. There's, there's, uh, I think you require some level of human contact in addition to the product contact to really be able to have enough information and confidence at your disposal to, to make that purchase. Yeah. Yeah. The intimacy part is really interesting too. I think that was, we were talking about that recently in the context of, um, do you know the brand, uh, Dirty Lemon? Yeah. Yeah. So how they did the sort of genius thing of text to order, which is, you know, we text our closest, you know, nearest and dearest. And now we're using it as like SMS to place orders. So it was a very interesting way to create that relationship. They were a direct consumer only brand. I mean, now they're in retail, but they kind of added that intimate experience like of an online brand by fold, you know, applying that layer of SMS SMS to order, which is kind of interesting. And actually they've, you know, recently pulled all their online advertising like mm. they've done away with it completely they're yeah. just having like you know focusing on retail so it's an interest you know it's interesting to see yeah, how right. now but as of a month ago yeah right yeah I, they when yeah when we spoke with them that was their their strategy to address just sort of the crowdedness that you're talking about online and how do you get people's attention interesting yeah i mean to me that's just evidential of D to C, and I'm speaking specifically with my experience with food and beverage products, but D to C is a great way to build a brand and a relationship with your initial consumers set. But I, I don't necessarily believe it's a long-term sales strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Right. I mean, and especially when you're talking about selling multiple items. Like it's one thing if you're just super brand loyal to this one thing that you always get online, you know, that sometimes is easier. Like for example, I'm a subscriber to Lola and I love getting my, you know, feminine hygiene products once a month without having to think about it. And I think it's a great product, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I mean, to your point, like if you're selling multiple products and, you know, the experience is part of it, um, is a big part of it, then it is a hard 
switched make. But that being said, now that you know the rules are changing and and the landscape has changed, even if it's only temporary, what are you doing to kind of pivot with the with the times that require we all think about pivoting? Yeah. I mean, we've been thinking about e-commerce as a complement to our experience in a way that we can extend and continue the relationships we have with people who visit our stores uh, for some time now. And I think originally I considered a mirrored marketplace. So at any time where we have a store open, you know, offering that product selection uh, on our website for purchase and dropship was something that we even considered launching with the opening of our LA store this past February. Uh, ultimately, I'm, I'm actually pretty happy that we didn't uh, move forward with that because I, I, I think what's right for us as this discovery space is figuring out a way to translate that online. And I don't think you get that in what I just described. So it was a pretty quick pivot for us to put together these boxes, which we launched last week. And those will be delivered uh, directly to the homes of those who order them. And within each uh, is a selection, a surprise selection of the products that we hope to have available in our store opening, uh, hopefully this June here in Austin. And it will also include some of our merch. We make like new t-shirts with every opening of our store, magnets, stickers, you know, fun stuff, as well as a donation to Feeding America. So each of our stores contributes 5% of our proceeds to a local crowdsource organization. So we've given to Lower East Side Girls Club and Planned Parenthood in New York, um, the Wildfire Relief Fund with LA, and these boxes will contribute to Feeding America. And we're actually donating 10%. Great. Good for you. So the concept with the boxes is really, um, it's kind of a handshake with what's in the store, but the idea is that they're, it's, it's like a sample, it's a teaser of what's to come or it's what's already available. And is the idea then you want people to come back to the website for repurchase after discovery in the box? Yeah. So the way we're working it right now, um, which could be a forever thing, but it also could just be an easy logistical uh, option for us at the moment, is that each every couple weeks we like we release a new drop. So there's a limited edition of that particular selection. So theoretically, someone could order every week and get something new every time. Um, and it's a teaser for those who aren't physically able to come or who are able to physically come to the store when it opens. But for those across the country who are excited about what we're doing and arguably have been since our start, this this is a way for them to access the store and the surprise and discovery experience without you know being able to step inside the doors. And how much are the boxes? Right now they're $60, which is inclusive of product, merch, um, and shipping, which we do nationwide. It's a sweet deal. Yeah, we think so. <laughs> and so excited. I'm, it's like, I'm sure as you guys know, it's very hard to be excited about anything right now. <laughs> and I'm just generally like not an excitable person either. And I'm legitimately so excited to watch people open them. Yeah, I'm sure. Oh, you know what you should do if you really want to get people excited right now? Surprise them with their box. Put some toilet paper in there. <laughs> well, oh, you already did it yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 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 
be just any toilet paper, you know, it'll be biodegradable bamboo. But oh, you worked with who gives a crap? We're very familiar with them. We haven't worked with them yet. To date, we've worked with Peach and Real. There are a number of, of D to, I'm sure as you know, there are a number of D to C toilet paper companies. Yeah. Who gives a crap is like a great, um, good cause. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing brand. Anyway, well, you are doing very interesting things and we're excited to watch you continue to navigate this tricky landscape, but, um, and maybe even participate ourselves. Yeah. I would love that. I'm so excited about what you guys are doing. And I'm yes. very soon to be revealed. You pioneered juice culture. So I personally have you to thank for that. Well, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> well, we can't wait to share it with you. Um, and uh, yeah, congratulations on everything you've done so far. You said you have, you're hoping for an event or a pop-up in Austin in June. Yeah, June 5th is the current plan date. Yep. And then what is the next one after that? Just in case. We're current, we've been planning for fall in New York. Uh, we will definitely open in New York next. It's just a matter of when the city is ready for us. Well, we can't get ready soon enough because I think everybody is ready to crawl the walls and find something to go do outside. <laughs> wow, I know. I mean, I'm actually, it's so funny to watch this, the, the memes about grocery stores and people dressing up to go, uh, to, go to the grocery store specifically because it's the only activity right now you can partake in. We'll lean into if we if we do open here in Austin. Yeah, seriously. I I mean I'm having like very fond FOMO memories of my mom's gigantic supermarket in Phoenix because she do you know Fries? Do you know that 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 uh, grocery store chain? It's pretty. I mean, it's nice. I guess it's akin to like a uh, you know Vons or something. But the one in her neighborhood has a bar like they have like this huge cheese counter and it's a Murray's cheese counter, which is like our, you know, amazing New York brand. And then they have a, like a big wine and liquor section that they have like a wine cave inside where like the fancy expensive bottles are. And then you can also just like sit at the counter and eat Murray's cheese and drink wine if you get like a little tired from shopping in the fresh aisle. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us, Emily. And we are so excited for you and for everybody to be able to get back out and shop. But congratulations and best of luck. Same to you guys. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.